The following audio is from a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer entitled, Pray Like Jesus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the word of the Lord. For you to open up your Bibles or your app to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 5. For the next six weeks, we're going to be studying the Lord's Prayer. And it is not a secret that our American society and the Western world as a whole is rapidly growing more and more secular. Now, 30 or 40 years ago, uh, sociologists predicted that as our society would continue to drift towards secularism, people would naturally become less and less religious. That as technology and science made everything understandable and controllable, people wouldn't need things like religion and need things like prayer anymore. But what has actually unfolded over the past 30 or 40 years is that as our society has secularized, people have continued to be just as religious and just as spiritual as they have ever been. It's, it's absolutely baffled most sociologists. Now, why is this? This is because human, the human soul is made religious. It's spiritual. It has a desire for something beyond this world that technology and science cannot explain or control. See, the Christian scriptures, the Bible, teaches us that we were made by God in the image of God for God. As C.S. Lewis says, every human has a God-sized hole in their heart that only God can fill. See, we were created to know God, to love God, and to walk with God as friends walk and talk with one another. So every human being has an innate desire, like a memory trace in our DNA from creation that says, God is real. He's the center of the universe, the center of reality, and you should get to know him. This is one of the reasons why nearly everyone prays. Secular people still pray. Atheists still pray. They may, say, they may say they're not religious. They may not be Christians, but they still pray. They might not even know who they are praying to. I find it odd that so many people these days are praying to the universe, which is pretty strange since science tells us that the universe itself seems pretty cruel and unconcerned about us. Specifically, when we are confronted with something we cannot control, something that scares us, we pray. We have this, human beings have a natural response to want to connect to God and want to pray. No matter what society or what culture 
we grow up in. And so here we kind of, we, we have a problem here. Nearly everyone prays, but can we just ask the question, who are they talking to? When I first became a Christian, I was told that prayer was simply talking to God. Now, was a, that's a really simple definition. It's not wrong, but it's not all 100% correct either. It's not all there is to say about prayer. If, if prayer is just talking to God, two things that need, we need to address first, right? One, who is this God I'm talking to? And second, how does he want to be spoken to? Like one of the first things you learn as a child is you do not get to invent language, right? You're just babbling on and on and everyone around you has just got to figure out what do they, what do they want, right? Right away, parents are like, this won't work for long, right? We need you to communicate language. Like you do not get to speak however you want and expect others to understand you. You learn your language from your parents, right? They teach you how to communicate with them. This is how it always works with authority figures. They get to set the parameters of communication. You don't get to speak however you want to your teachers, to your coaches, to your instructor, instructors, or your boss. If you think that you do, this is a eye-opening, should be an eye-opening moment for you. You don't get to communicate however you want to your boss. They will fire you, and it's all in their right to do so. You have to learn how to communicate from them. If you want to have a good relationship with someone who's in authority over you, you must learn to speak their language. Well, how much more so with the God who gave us life itself with his own word that God himself spoke us into existence. We need to learn from him how to speak and how to pray. So there are two questions we must answer before we pray. One, who is God? And two, how do we speak to this God? And to answer these questions, we're going to go to the best source available to us, Jesus Christ of Nazareth and his teaching on prayer here in the Lord's Prayer on Matthew chapter 6. Now, let me answer this objection before you hopefully even think it. Now, why is Jesus a better source than the rest of the world's religious teachers? Why would we listen to Jesus instead of the Dalai Lama or Oprah or Buddha or our, you know, our religion teacher in college. Why should we listen to Jesus? Well, to put it simply, Jesus is himself in a totally different category than every other religious teacher because Jesus succinctly was the son of God. Jesus wasn't just a religious teacher that came to show us the way to God. Every other religious teacher says, this is what God's like. This is what God's like. Jesus said, I am God. Jesus was God in the flesh that came to show us what God was like. See, every other religious teacher says God is like this or God is like that, and here's what you need to do to get to know him. Jesus flips that upside down, and he said, I am God, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here's what God has done to get to know you. See, Jesus invades our space to show us what God's like. Religious teachers just point up to God, right? It's a big, there's a big difference. Religions are all about man seeking God, but Christianity is about God seeking man. And what we learn when we study the Bible is Jesus is a part of this thing we call the Trinity, 
that God himself exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equally God, all coexistent together in a relationship. Why do we desire relationships? Because God himself, reality itself is relational, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is how love is at the center of all things because God himself is love in a Trinitarian relationship. So Jesus is God, he's a member of this Trinity, and therefore he has always known God the Father, and he's always known how to speak with him. Jesus is the best source for learning how to pray, and and this kind of confounded Jesus' disciples as well. Jesus' disciples witnessed, when he came to earth and he walked among them, Jesus' disciples witnessed how he prayed, and it blew their minds. In Luke's gospel, you have Jesus' disciples coming to him and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, this should be encouraging for a couple of reasons. One, though prayer is natural, right? We all desire it. It's not easy, right? It's not easy. Listen, every one of us can pull our arm back and throw something, but if you want to throw a fastball or a curveball, that's not natural and that's not easy, and it's going to take some work to do that, Right? Prayer is the same way. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. And I find it interesting that Jesus' disciples, after watching his life, they don't come to him and go, Jesus, show us how to walk on water. Jesus, show us how to multiply bread. Jesus, show us how to heal people. They come to him and say, Jesus, show us how to pray. They knew that everything else that Jesus did was a result of his prayer life. Jesus knew how to talk to God. He knew how to commune with God in such a way that his life was energized and he was strengthened for the work at hand. Jesus, when Jesus prayed, he got power and strength and he became pretty tough, like This is what led him into his crucifixion. That takes boldness and strength. It led him to confront religious leaders and religious teachers, the power figures of the day. He could stand right there with boldness and speak to them. How? Because he prayed. He had this connection to God. But it didn't just make him tough. In a crazy way, it also made him more tender. Prayer softened his heart for the relationships in his life. It made him compassionate toward those around him. His heart was broken for the poor and he prayed for them. He wept when Lazarus died. That Jesus was strong. You could not bend him if it wasn't God's will, but he was also soft and tender and intimate with those around him and those hurting. How? He had a prayer life that connected him to God that gave him the resources that he needed for every situation. See, prayer isn't just talking with God. It's also an encounter. It's an exchange. It's a conversation that gives a person resources they didn't have before. That Jesus would be exhausted from a high-profile, demanding public ministry. And then what would he do? He would go away for large amounts of time and pray. Often he would pray all night. When he chose his disciples, he prayed all night long. 
about that choice. And what would happen when he would go away and he would pray and he would spend time with God, he would come back renewed and restored and empowered and emboldened. He would know what he needed to do and he could do it. It's no wonder that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed and handed over to be crucified, and crucifixion is the most brutal form of death, public humiliation, stripped naked, beaten, hung on a cross to die by asphyxiation. Basically, your lungs cave in on themselves because you can't hold yourself up anymore and you just smother in front of his mom, in front of his family and friends. He knew this was going to happen to him. And on the night that he was betrayed, you know, he wasn't found asleep in his bed or enjoying a nice fireside chat with his friends, but instead was praying with God in the garden. That his prayer life fueled his obedience to God, and that's where he got the strength to say, in the moment, he said, I know my cross is coming, and I do not want to drink this cup of suffering that you're placing in front of me, God. I do not want to be separated from you by death. We've always known intimate communion. I don't want to be cut off and broken, but not my will. Your will be done. Let's do this. I mean, how did he get the strength to say that? connection to God in prayer. So prayer is both a conversation and an encounter with God. It's the way that God gives us what we need. Listen, if you are a real kind of sheepish person and constantly given to peer pressure and you find it hard to stand up for truth or really share your faith with someone, listen, your prayer life is lacking something's missing. God gives courage to the person who connects with him in prayer. It's a byproduct. It happens naturally. You step out of prayer more bold, more confident that God's going to speak through you and God's going to use you. Why? Because you know God and he's right next to you and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now, if you're the type of person I've heard about these people who are way more lion than lamb and you find it hard to really concern yourself with the emotions of other people or the needs of other people. You find it really easy to stand up for truth, but very hard to be patient and gentle and empathetic. Most people don't make this connection. Your prayer life is misfiring. Something's wrong God gives gentleness, kindness, and concern for the poor and weak to those who pray. That the fruits of the Spirit come through our prayer life, come through praying and meeting with God. Now, if either one of those descriptions hits you or fits you or kind of gets close to you, you might be asking yourself, maybe I don't really know how to pray? And listen, if you are feeling like that, I'm going to be honest, that's good. That's a good feeling. That's the same feeling Jesus' disciples had when they compared their experience of prayer with Jesus's. That's why they came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so I hope that you came here this morning with that same feeling. 
I don't think my prayer life is like that. And when I look at Jesus's prayer life, something special was happening there and I would like some of that. And so Lord, teach me how to pray. And I think over the next six weeks, the Lord is going to teach us how to pray. So that's why we're spending this next week studying Jesus's answer to them. This is his answer. Lord, teach us to pray. This is what Jesus says. Jesus wants to teach all of us how to pray. He wants us to have a deeply meaningful prayer life that changes us as we meet with God. And so this morning, Jesus is going to teach us our first lesson on prayer. And he's going to do that by contrasting it with two common ways prayer goes wrong even before it gets started. So before he tells us how to pray, he's going to tell us how not to pray. All right? And I believe Jesus' lessons here can be narrowed down to answering two questions when we pray. One, who's watching? And number two, who's listening? Who's watching and who's listening? Let's take a look at our text this morning. Matthew 6, 5, let's read it. And when you pray, so first off, Christians pray. This is a command. Christians, we have a natural desire to connect with God, but it's also a command from Jesus to pray. So when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, hypocrites, that word has a completely negative connotation today. But back in the day, you could, you could say, he could be saying this, do not be like the actors. Because the word hypocrite literally referred to the, the ones who were play acting, the one who were putting on plays and performances. They played a part. And when you play a part in a play, you work hard, look, to conceal your true feelings in order to convey a certain message or portray a certain type of person to the audience. So Jesus uses this word to describe some of the most religious people of his day, the Pharisees. He's saying these people are merely playing a part. Their outward behavior does not match the inward reality of their life. Their prayer life had malfunctioned. Their prayer life had went wrong. It became something different. It wasn't real prayer anymore. It had become something else because they had forgotten who was watching. They'd forgotten who their audience was meant to be in true prayer. Look at verse five. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now this group of people enjoyed being seen or perceived as more religious than they really were, right? They wanted other people, they wanted the adulation and the respect and the admiration of other people. They wanted to be thought, that's a good guy right there. Look how devoted to God he is. Look how, oh man, up, moral, upstanding, good, good dude. And so what happened was their prayer life devolved in something, into something where people, human beings became their audience instead of God himself. Now, what's interesting, you could characterize this as the religious way to approach prayer that's overly concerned 
with who is watching them when they pray. People, this can happen on others. I don't want to pray in front of other people because we're so concerned what other people might think. But it can also be on the other. Yes, I'll pray, brother. Let's do this thing. I've been practicing for 20 years. God bless it. Right? The person, now that, what else? This is the person who prays longer, louder, and more often in public than they do in private. You pray longer at missional community than you do at home? You pray longer in our prepared prayers that we pray, that we pray, that we write up on Sunday? Do you, is that a longer prayer than you typically pray? This is the person, listen, that doesn't actually pray to enjoy God or enjoy praying itself, being with God. They enjoy being seen as the type of person who prays. They want to be seen as spiritual or religious or pious, but in reality, they're doing it to impress others. Now, Social media can easily devolve into this. Now, many of us would not sit down on our knees and then snap a selfie, right? Just really interceding for my brothers and sisters, right? Right? Hashtag pray like Jesus, (laughs) right? But we might put our Bible there and our cup of coffee and our little... Moms love Jesus book, right? And take the perfect picture, right? What are we doing? What are we doing? What what, what is that desire? Now, there's a good desire that maybe I want to encourage somebody with a scripture. Maybe I want to encourage somebody with, you know, taking some time away and I'm meeting with Jesus at this coffee shop or this time in the morning. Maybe I'm trying to encourage someone. That's good. We, We want to encourage one another in good works like that. But it can easily devolve into this type of prayer where I'm praying or I'm meeting Jesus or I'm sharing scripture, not because I'm meeting with God, but because I want to be seen by others as having it together or being spiritual or being right with God. Right? Very easy. Jesus says, when we pray to impress others, prayer becomes something else entirely. He says, when you do that, look what he says here in verse five. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So when you are posting that on Instagram, that's actually, if it's not meant for God, God is not going to reward you. What's your reward? the likes you get. Oh, 50 people like that post. Oh, 50 people know how spiritual I am. Oh, that little, whatever that was, that little bit of dopamine that went off in your brain or whatever, that you got those likes, that's the only reward that came from that time alone with God, that prayer life. Jesus is saying, who your audience is determines your reward. So if you're praying to impress others, if you're going to church to impress others, that there's many folks that could be coming here just because their significant other wants them to go. I know she won't, won't date a guy who's not spiritual, so I'm going to be spiritual. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do these things because she's into it. 
Well, then you get no reward spiritually. You get no reward from God. That's the only reward you get is her a little bit of affirmation, her a little bit of attention, and you can't fake it for very long, I promise. Jesus says, when you pray to impress people, their attention, their affirmation is your reward. But if God is your audience, God himself will reward you. Now, I'm going to close the sermon by spending a little bit more time on the reward of prayer. But for right now, let's take a look at our text and see the second way our prayer often goes wrong. Now, this is in verse 7. And Jesus says again, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Now, the Gentiles, it's interesting. So the first one, these hypocrites, he's addressing the religious people of his day, the Pharisees. But in the second category of people, he's addressing Gentiles. Now, Gentiles was the other type of people in the world. They, it literally just meant non-Jewish people. And Jesus is telling us, Religious people pray, but so do irreligious people, or so do secular people, or so do pagan people. They pray, and they, they pray to all kinds of gods. So they thought that the gods would hear them if they showed their devotion to the gods by repeating mantras, by praying long-winded prayers. Now, this isn't much different from the person who today prays to the universe, and they might honestly pray for hours on end, but they just kind of pray to, to no one. They just pray, pray to the universe. Or the person who practices some kind of Eastern forms of meditation, they just kind of throw up prayers and hope that something or someone is listening, but they don't really know anything about the one whom they are praying to. So the first problem was, who's watching you pray? The second problem is, who do you think is listening? Are you just kind of throwing up some words up to the heavens and hoping there's somebody up there? Or do you know who's up there and you're communicating to him in the way that he has prescribed to be communicated to? This, this, this mistake also has to do with the thoughtless repetition of words where we heap up empty phrases or words and we might not even know what they mean or why we say them, but our prayer life is full of them and we think somehow this is some kind of code word to get God's attention. I've heard Christians pray like this, Lord Jesus, Father Jesus, God, Father, Spirit, just keep repeating his name over and over. We just ask you, we just plead before you, we just this, we just that. So odd to talk like that. You don't talk to a human being like that. Justin, I just would really, really, Justin, I just, just, please, just, just. What? Just, take just out of your vocabulary. What is that? It's religious filler. I don't know what to pray, so I'm just going to say just a lot. I just, just need just, just, just. Jesus says, don't do that. Do we even think about who we are praying to? Now, what's going on here? Well, I think this problem stems from the perception of the God that we're praying to. We think of God as someone who is waiting on the right magic words or somehow needs to be informed of things. How much of your prayer life is informing God of details? Father, 
my son fell today and he hurt his knee and I, I, did he need to be informed of that? Right? Jesus says specifically right here, do not be like them, so don't pray like that. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. You're not praying to, who are you praying to when you pray like that? We go to prayer not to inform God, right? We go to prayer, we go to God to be informed by God. He knows what we need. He knows what's really going on. He knows the person that we're praying for, what's really going on in their heart and their soul, and we don't. But so many times our prayer life devolves into explaining situations to God and then asking him to do what we want. Okay, God, here's what happened. This goes on. Now, what I'm really asking for you to do is change, right? And then we go into what we want. And who is shaping our prayer life then? We're shaping our prayer life. It's about us. It's, and, and we wonder why this isn't really doing anything for me. I kind of feel like this is a monologue. Guess what? That type of prayer is a monologue. It's I'm praying my wishes and my needs and my desires and asking God to do what I want him to do. Jesus says this is one of the common ways that prayer goes wrong before it gets started. One, we forget who's watching. And two, we forget who's listening. It's the sovereign God who's making sure your heart is still beating right now. He's making sure your organs are still. Do you think about your organs often? Do you wake up and go, man, that spleen, I hope it's working today. Right? No, he's worried about that. Not only that, but the sparrows that are out there and the lilies of the field. He's taking care of all these things and God is inviting us to come in and commune with him and he doesn't need six minutes of the news. He doesn't need it. He's pretty informed. Right? doesn't need that. You don't need to tell God all the details of your situation. He already knows Jesus tells us here that God, and this is what he says, our Father, and we're going to spend more time on that next week. He already knows what you need before you ask him. So the first two ways to pray poorly is one, to forget who's watching, and two, forget who's listening. We pray to God. We pray to the God who sees us and who hears us and already knows everything that we need. So, those are the two things not to do. What's Jesus' first lesson for us today on how to set ourselves up for success in our prayer life? It's right here in verse six. But when you pray. So three times Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. He's picking up a theme. Christians pray. We meet with God. Verse six, when you pray, look what he says. Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is a command with the reward. Obedience to this command brings with it a blessing, okay? Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room. Now, the Greek word here is tameon, and it means inner room. It means bedroom. It means a place where you can be alone. Jesus says, step one, get alone. 
Now, for those of us with kids, you know that is not an easy step. That's very complicated. That takes a lot of planning and a lot of preparation just to get step one, right? Get by yourself. Get alone. It might mean that you need, you know, to go out into the garage, right? It might mean that you need to lock yourself in the bathroom for a few minutes. But Jesus says something When you begin your prayer life, the first step is to get alone. We're going to have a deep and meaningful prayer life where we actually encounter God. We're going to have to follow Jesus' instructions here and find a place and a time where we can be alone. Now listen, it might be helpful to think of prayer as intimacy with God. Right? And if you're married in this room and you have kids in this room, you know how difficult intimacy can be with your spouse when all the kids are around. Right? And so what do you do? You have to plan it. You have to prepare it. You have to have a bedroom with a door on it that can lock. Right? You have to do these things. It's not like when you first get married. Right? It's not like on the honeymoon. Right? Didn't matter. Right? As long as you got blinds, it don't matter. Right? It's not like that when you get kids. You have to figure these things out and plan and prepare for them the same way in our prayer life. Now, when we first bought our house, uh, at first I had a study. If you, have, if you got an extra bedroom, have a study. Oh, it feels so good, right? You got a door, you can shut it, you got books on the walls, you got Bibles, you can pray, you can get this quiet time. I remember Amanda would come to me and I'd be in my study, I'd be praying, it's just so peaceful, you know, it's so great. Then we just kept having kids. Then I was like, oh wait, I ain't got no bedrooms. So I needed another bedroom. So then I had to get creative. What am I gonna do? Well, there's this spot down by the furnace. I guess I'll go sit down in the basement by the furnace. And so the gentle hum of the furnace and the of the of the water heater, but it didn't matter. I was down there and I was meeting with Jesus and this is my place and my time to be alone. And then some friends of ours uh, were upgrading their hot tub and gave me an old hot tub. I put that thing on my deck and I realized if I just didn't let the kids come in, this could be my little world of of my little prayer hot tub. I I like that sound of that. I'm going to, and so People laugh at me because I spent hours in my hot tub praying. Most Saturday nights, I'm in my hot tub praying about the sermon, about the service, and praying for you. But I've also got this spot in my office. I've got one of the members of our church built me a little prayer bench that looks out over the field in front of the theater, and it's there that I can pray for you and pray for our city and pray for those that I'm burdened for, those that I'm on mission to. I've got this little spot, and I shut my door, and everybody in the office knows if my door's shut, you don't mess with Justin, right? It's my place of prayer. It's my time of prayer. But that's not all. One of my favorite places to pray is alone in the woods, I pray while walking, I pray while running, I pray while riding my mountain bike, that that time is a sacred time for me. It's a sacred place. I put it on my calendar. I'm meeting, just like when you call and you want to set up an appointment, I put your name in my calendar. I put Jesus' name in my calendar so I can go alone and meet with him alone. Because the demands of ministry, the demands of a young family, all of these things they take away your prayer life. They take away from your time alone with with the Lord unless you 
work at it and you put it in your schedule. All of those are, are times where I can get alone with God and meditate on his word and think through what he's teaching me and to transfer the burdens that I'm carrying over to him. Get this happens in prayer. So step one, if you want to develop an intimacy with Jesus, you have got to find a space that you can do it in. If it's when the kids go down for a nap, if you need to call somebody and have them watch the kids for an hour so you can take some time and go do that, you've got to do it. Intimacy doesn't happen on the go. It takes space, it takes time, and you need to be alone with God. So Jesus, step one, get alone with him. Get a sacred space to pray where you can be alone. Now, like I said before, this is a command for us that comes with the best type of command, a command that comes with a blessing, that comes with a promise. Look at verse six. When you pray, go into your room, your quiet spot, shut the door, look, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, just what is that reward? Well, I have to be honest, I don't have time today to go through all of the rewards that come to us from prayer. But one of the main ones is right here in our text. Look what Jesus says about getting alone to pray. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father, what? Who is in secret. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, when you get alone to pray, you're not alone. God is there in secret. See, when you find your secret place, your place of prayer, God will meet you there. Now, I have found this. Prayer is hard. Prayer is difficult. But I have, I have found this to be consistent. When I get, I, I, for me, I get my cup of coffee, right? I get a book. I get my Bible. I go to the hot tub or I go wherever I'm going to go that day. And I get there more often than not, God meets me there. He's promising to meet us there in our quiet place. And that it, it creates a rhythm and a, and a rhythm of your soul that you look forward to it, that you get used to it, that you know when you're having a stressful day, I need to get to my quiet place to pray. I need to go be with Jesus. I need to meet with him there. It's a promise for us. He'll meet us in this quiet place. Now listen, everything God has for you, he wants to give you in prayer as you encounter him. Why do we pray? We don't pray to instruct God. We don't pray just to tell him what we want, but to touch him, to be near him, to let him give us what we want. C.S. Lewis famously says, we are like half-hearted creatures. Basically, he says this, we're like kids playing in a mud puddle. We're so busy playing in a mud puddle, not realizing that God wants us to have a holiday at the sea. That our prayer life, when we bring all of our stuff to God and all we're doing is filling him in on the day's events or giving him a news flash and just giving him everything that we want him to do, he's sitting there like, I have something for you. Would you shut up for a second? 
I have a holiday at the sea. I have an intimacy, an awareness of my presence. I have something that you're not even aware of that you need, and you need to just be quiet and be with me for a moment. Would you let me be God? Jesus is saying, when we get alone in secret, we get alone with the secret God. We get alone with him, and he can give us what he wants to give us. Maybe we need to be reminded how much we're loved. I don't think anybody knows how much they're loved. I don't think any of us can have ever been told we're loved enough. We're always trying to earn our approval and prove to God that we're a good person and that we should be loved and we're deserving of love. But God loves us because of Jesus. And sometimes when you're in those quiet time, that quiet space with the Lord, you'll read a scripture and you'll just feel a sense of it settle on you like, God is into me. God approves of me because of Jesus. God loves me, and that changes you, and you can walk out of that meeting as, in a different sense of, mi- sense, uh, sense of mind, sense of heart. You have more resources available to you. Maybe we need to learn how to persevere and to cling to him in a difficult season. Sometimes we're going through awful things in our life and it's not about going to God and getting the answer and having him take us out of this difficult situation. It's about God in the moment drawing near to us and saying to us, you can make it. The spirit of God is in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he's in you. You can go through this difficult season with me. You can make it, hold on. And it's that sense of need sometimes that even just brings us into prayer. Like nobody prays unless they're confident that they can't make it on their own. And if you have a very thin prayer life, the primary reason is your own pride. The bottom of your heart, you think, I got this. I I can handle this life. Right? If you're over the age of 30, I hope you've come to the realization you can't, that you need God to strengthen you and to help you. Maybe it's in this time of prayer that we need to learn how to commune with God in such a way in the midst of great temptation that as a result, we develop self-control. So many people think I should pray and God should just deliver me out of this temptation. The desire of lust the desire of pornography, the desire of of addictions, the desire of drugs, the desire of peer pressure. God almost, I almost said never, God almost never does that. Why? Because as soon as that happens, you walk out of there with a swagger. And then what happens? You think you got it on your own. And so temptation is an opportunity to feel your weakness and to go to God in your closet and plead with him and wrestle him like Jacob wrestled the angel and said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And so our need, our want, our weakness should bring us into a communion with the Father that in that moment, we're not even aware of it, but 10 years down the road, we look back and go, I'm a different guy than I was. How did that happen? Intimacy with the Father, communion with the Father. It's interesting to me, the the Apostle Paul, very rarely, I wanted to say never, but I, I could get my Bible wrong too, very rarely prayed for anyone's circumstances. 
He didn't pray for people to be delivered out of prison. He didn't pray for people not to die, right? At, 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 and all the, all the persecution that was going on. He always prayed that God would do this. He would open the eyes of their heart. That's in Ephesians 1. That God would open the eyes of their heart so they could sense and see what God has already done for them. Prayer is not about getting God to do what we want him to do. Prayer is not about getting God to change our circumstances. Prayer is about getting to know God and God changing us. That's what it's about. And the first thing that we need to realize is what a privilege it is to be able to do that. I doubt any of us would be foolish enough to go to the White House and try to stroll into the president's office. Right? Why? Because who the heck do you think you are? That's what they would say, right? That's what they'd say. Now, if you jump the fence, you might get tackled, right? Your name doesn't open the White House doors. We get this. You want to go talk to a CEO? You want to talk to somebody in authority? You probably don't have the name, the reputation to open doors. Now listen, why do we think we have the ability to open the doors of heaven and speak with God? Everyone doesn't. Actually, let me tell you this. No one does. But one, Jesus the Son of God has always had God's ear and will always have God's ear. He came to live the life that we, we fail, right? right? We always say, oh, it's just, we're just human. We make mistakes. Jesus came and lived a human life and never made a mistake. He always did what was good, right, and perfect. Jesus pleased God perfectly. And God looked down and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to this guy. And then Jesus did something crazy. He took our place. The distance we feel from God, the, the sin that we've brought into our relationship that's caused us to be separated from God. Jesus said, I'm going to bridge the gap between God and humanity. I'm going to do what no other human could do. I'm going to live the perfect life and please God perfectly. But then I'm going to take their punishment upon me. I'm going to let God treat me like a sinner and Jesus goes to the cross for us, bears the wrath of God, and then three days later is resurrected. That's, we sang that song this morning that talks about Jesus being resurrected and, and death not holding him any longer. And then Jesus and the Father send the Holy Spirit to come invade believers' lives. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ and says, Jesus, you died for my sins. I give my life to you. He sends the Holy Spirit into us. And now, because the Spirit of God is inside of us, we have access we have the name that opens doors. We have the name that opens the throne room of heaven, the name of Jesus. That's why you get really weird about singing that song, no other name, no other name, right? And then we got guys that we know named Jesus, and we're like, oh, that's kind of weird. We're singing about Jesus, and I know that guy's Jesus. No other name. Jesus Christ opens up the doors of heaven for us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gives us access to the Father. This is a gift of the good news of the gospel. And it only comes from the gospel. No one gets to pray to the Father unless they pray through the name of Jesus. No one. And so 
this morning, as we think about that, I, I pray that, you, that it would encourage us. I think hopefully we've got some practical things, some tips and some tricks on maybe how to increase our prayer life and how to grow. We're going to be learning a lot more. But I pray that you would just stand in awe the fact that God hears your prayers because you pray in the Spirit and through Jesus. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would do that this morning. Listen, every week we, we share of the Lord's Supper together. And this is reenacting the night that Jesus was betrayed. That Jesus took this bread and he said, this bread represents my body that will be broken for you. And this cup represents my blood that will be shed for you. And in this moment, I want you to think about this is what it took for Jesus to give us access to the Father. This is what it took for Jesus to open up a way into heaven so that we could commune with God, we could meet with him, and there's no other way known to man to commune with the real God than through the broken body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So I pray that we would take that and we would eat it in worship of him this morning. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. No other God came to earth lived the life that we should have lived and then died the death that we deserve for our many sins. No other God has done this. And Jesus, we look at your prayer life and we want it to be true of us. The believers in this room, we want to meet with God. We want to know God. We want to be in his presence. And so I pray that you would help us pursue that, that we would make it a goal of ours. Intimacy doesn't just happen. We have to be focused at it. I pray that you would give us wisdom, that you give us help, that you'd help us to get alone with you this week and that you would meet us there and you would speak to us and you would change us from the inside out. We worship you, Jesus, the name above all names. Amen.